Coming up on Stew Does America, there are plenty of reasons to despise Colin Kaepernick, and I'm going to tell you every single last one of them. And after I'm done telling you to despise someone, I'll redeem myself with a lovely conversation with Riaz Patel, who teaches me to be less mean. Head on over to youtube.com slash America to watch the show for free. Just be sure to hit the little thumbs up button to like the videos. Also, catch the show free on Facebook and your favorite social media providers. I mean, we post the show for free every day on MySpace, and none of you ever watch it there. I mean, we're, we're just wasting our time. Or take advantage of a discounted subscription to Blaze TV. Go to blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew because that's how they know. You like this stupid show, and we'll take 10 bucks off the price. All right, it's Friday, which means I can talk about and make fun of whoever I want. Buckle up. Colin Kaepernick. Stu does America. Today, 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 we commit the ultimate in blasphemy. We do Colin Kaepernick. Why do we do Colin Kaepernick? Well, because people talk about him all the time. And literally no one knows what they're talking about. So today, we will look at the five main arguments made by people who think Colin Kaepernick really did believe in something, and so he sacrificed everything. And by the end, you will know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the reason Colin Kaepernick is not playing football today is because he is not good at playing football. Claim number one. Colin Kaepernick was a really good quarterback. Claim number two. His protest was about injustice. It's not about the flag. Claim number three, he lost his job because of his kneeling. Claim number four, the NFL can't handle people speaking honestly about race. And claim number five, no one would give him a chance. Let's jump right in. Claim number one, Kaepernick was a really good quarterback. No, he wasn't. Good night, everybody. I'm going home. No. I can understand a little bit why people think he was so good because he did seem to have some early success. But let's look a little closer. In 2012, he was handed his job because his teammate, Alex Smith, got a concussion. It's not that Smith was playing poorly at all. The team was 6-2. and two. Alex Smith was, the leading, uh, was leading the league in completion percentage when the injury happened. He was coming off a year with the lowest interception percentage in the entire league. He was a former number one overall pick, consistently improving and having his best season. People having this career arc just simply do not lose their jobs in the NFL. Kaepernick doesn't have a tragic story of oppression. He was gifted this job from a white quarterback, by the way, and received a break that almost no other player in memory could imagine this side of Tom Brady. And it's worth pointing out. There's a revisionist idea here that this was some brilliant move, that this switch was incredibly brilliant. But despite both players having exactly 218 passing attempts for the season, Smith threw for a higher completion percentage, had a higher passer rating, and had more touchdowns. Kaepernick's running ability was new and exciting and did catch some defenses off guard, and he was able to continue the success of Smith going 5-2. and two. Kaepernick benefited from a great defense, a strong running game, a top-notch coach, and a historically great offensive line, and rode it all the way to the Super Bowl. In the game, San Francisco promptly got down 28-6 and lost despite a second-half run. This is where people kind of started getting the idea that Kaepernick was a good quarterback. It's a bad idea. 
And his first game of the next season was probably the best game of his career against Green Bay. But for the season after that, he unquestionably regressed as a player, mixing in passing performances that only Colin Kaepernick seems to be able to produce. 13 of 28 for 127 yards and three interceptions? Who has a game like that? 11 of 22 for 91 yards in the NFL? 17 of 31 for 127 yards? The team basically rarely asked him to do anything, and when they did, he usually did it poorly. Despite San Francisco being legitimately great all over the field with the exception of quarterback, they lost in the playoffs uh, with Colin Kaepernick only throwing for 153 yards and two interceptions. Now, he was spectacular running the ball in that game, but it wasn't enough for him to overcome his weakness as a passer. He regressed again in 2014, and the team entirely missed the playoffs. This is not the profile of a big-time quarterback. It's the profile of a guy with some athletic talent who is either not good enough or not dedicated enough to improve. His ability fit with a great team that was coached really well, but the holes in his game were exposed quickly. He was clearly going in the wrong direction. Claim number two, the protests were not about the flag. Yes, they were. How many times have you heard this argument? It's not about the flag. It's not about the country. It's about opposition to racism or brutality or something else. That's a good buzzword that works right now. Look, Kaepernick is no human rights icon. In fact, he wasn't even the first athlete to protest the flag in recent memory. In 1996, after the Denver Nuggets drafted LSU guard Chris Jackson, he changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. Abdul Rauf refused to open his eyes for the national anthem and would whisper Islamic prayers instead. In 2004, Blue Jays first baseman Carlos Delgado also protested the flag. Not only did these guys do it first, they were both much better at their sport than Kaepernick ever was. But Kaepernick's protests were always about the flag and the country from the beginning. If you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Colin Kaepernick, quote, I am not going to stand up and show pride in a flag or, a, or for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. So after his anti-country, anti-flag protest, he was counseled by a military member who said, hey, uh, maybe take a knee instead of just sitting down like a jerk. Kaepernick read the crowd and changed the protest. But it was always about the flag from the beginning. If it wasn't, you could have taken a knee in a more prominent time, like the coin toss or right before the kickoff or right before the first snap. He did it during the anthem because it was always about his strong distaste for the country in general. And this was obvious to everyone at the time. The media has just tried to rehab his image. Cornerback Prince Amakamura was supportive initially, quote, then what he did with the sock thing with the cops and pigs, I'm like, no. Now I can't even kneel with him because if I do, then I'm supporting that too, which I don't support. I don't think any cops are pigs. If you don't remember the cops are pigs socks, Colin Kaepernick wore cops are pigs socks. There they are. They're right there. It was always about hating cops, the country, and the flag. If it wasn't about the flag, he might have handled it like another player who recently got himself canceled, Drew Brees. He, of course, is a Hall of Famer, and it's a crime to mention him in the same breath as Kaepernick. But history forgets he also took a knee. 
Now, if the protest was not about the country and the flag, wouldn't this statement just be perfect? As a way to show respect to all, our Saints team will kneel in solidarity prior to the national anthem and stand together during the anthem. But now everyone trashes Breeze for not being woke enough. And everyone he knows has apologized. For what? For not making the protest about the country and the flag? Kaepernick never thought the country was a good place. If you don't believe me, ask Colin Kaepernick. He always says, make America great again. Well, America's never been great for people of color. And, you know, that's something that needs to be addressed. Let's make America great for the first time. Make it great for the first time. I make Michelle's uh, remember Michelle Obama's first time. I'm first time I've ever been proud of this country. I mean, that sounds like pro-American in comparison. And time has only made Kaepernick more and more extreme. This is the face of a multinational corporation essentially advocating for violence. This is from May 29th of this year. The cries for peace will rain down. And when they do, they will land on deaf ears. Because your violence has brought this resistance. We have the right to fight back. Rest in power, George Floyd. We don't listen to cries of peace and we're going to fight back. I mean, he is literally advocating violence there. But at least, you know what? The good thing is, at least his shoes are all sold out. And that's important, Nike. I hope you're thinking about it. There's so much more to tear into Colin Kaepernick over. Uh, We're going to take a short break and get right back into it. Stay tuned. Who does America? Look what I have right here. It's a Fast Blast packet. Yep, Fast Blast smoothie. This one's banana berry. It's delicious. It's healthy, I guess, but I don't really care if it's healthy. I just want it to taste good. I do care if it's healthy, though, because if you want to lose some weight, you, you got you to gotta cut it back a little bit, right? We all know that. The COVID era was a lot of DoorDash, a lot of Uber Eats. Not necessarily the best idea to lose weight, Um, but Fast Blast is great because it combines the uh, power of intermittent fasting. It's kind of this big thing. You've probably seen people talking about it. Um, Intermittent fasting, you know, it is this situation where a couple days a week with Fast Blast, I will eat very little except these uh, these packets, which will fill me up. Um, And you lose weight really fast. It comes off fast. You notice a a difference in the uh, scale like every day when you step on it. And that's important to me because I gotta, if I'm going to be sacrificing anything, if I'm not going to be eating pizza 12 times a day, I need to know that something is going on. Uh, I'm actually making a difference here. Uh, there's no blender. There's no scales. There's no calorie or carb counting with this. You have these great uh, smoothies that you can have. Uh, and also, uh, you can do your own homework and kind of learn the entire thing. They will actually outline the entire plan for you. It's really easy. Go to fastblast.com slash blaze. Fastblast.com slash blaze. Get started today uh, with Fastblast. Fastblast.com slash blaze for a healthier and happier and smaller you. You are watching the definitive argument about why Colin Kaepernick is just terrible. And I believe we're on to the big claim number three that the media makes about Colin Kaepernick. Claim number three is he lost his job because of his kneeling. No, he didn't. The protest started back in 2016. So let's go to 2015, shall we? In one of his best games, Colin Kaepernick threw for 335 yards. Unfortunately, it was all in garbage time of a 43-18 loss to Pittsburgh. That's the good news. The next week, he goes 9 of 19 
for 67 yards with no touchdowns and four interceptions against Arizona. He follows up that masterwork with 160 yards and three points against Green Bay. At this point, all reporting is saying that he's on the verge of being benched. Luckily for him, he's got two of the worst teams in the league next up on the schedule. The Ravens, who would wind up 5-11, where he squeaks out a win, and maybe his best game of the year against the 6-10 New York Giants and their worst passing defense in the NFL. They still lost that game, by the way. After those two performances, it was back to the Kaepernick we know and love. Three points, 124 yards against Seattle. Six points, 162 yards against St. Louis. And then he was benched. For Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert. This is a guy who everyone says is a bust, struggling himself to stay in the league. Kaepernick was benched for Blaine Gabbert. If there is one stat you remember from this entire thing, make it this one. How many times has Kaepernick taken a knee so far in his career at this point? Zero. He got benched for Blaine Gabbert before any of his activism, before any of the kneeling. That's because Colin Kaepernick is not good at football. Gabbert played the entire second half of the season, meaning they exactly split the year. So who was better? Wins? Gabbert 3, Kaepernick Kaepernick 2. Team points with Gabbert, 129. With Kaepernick, 109. Completion percentage, Gabbert 63, Kaepernick 59. Yards, Gabbert, 2,031. Kaepernick, 1,615. Gabbert had 26% more yards. TD interception ratio, advantage Gabbert. Passer rating, advantage Gabbert. Sacks, advantage Gabbert. Fumbles, advantage Gabbert. Yards gained per pass attempt, advantage Gabbert. Blah, 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 blah. About the only place where Kaepernick was ahead was rushing yards by about nine per game. That's it. Let this sink in. Colin Kaepernick was benched for Blaine Gabbert before he ever took a knee. And Gabbert went on to thoroughly outplay him in almost every aspect of the game. It wasn't until 2016 that Kaepernick started protesting, not by taking a knee, but by sitting during the national anthem. During the preseason of 2016, Gabbert beat him out again. Now, after a 1-4 start, they went back to Kaepernick, who went right on to lose six straight games. Then the 49ers had to take on the Bears. And Colin Kaepernick played what might be the single worst football game played by a quarterback in NFL history. Yes, the weather was nasty. But at the time, the Niners finally pulled him out of the game for Gabbert again. Kaepernick was one of five for four yards and a passer rating of 39.6. He was also sacked five times for 25 yards, leaving the Niners with negative 21 net passing yards and a 24-6 deficit at the time of his departure. In the process, Kaepernick became the first quarterback in NFL history to be sacked five times and throw for fewer than five yards. (laughs) He had more sacks than yards. That's according to ESPN stats and information. He was so bad, he was pulled for Gabbert again, who outplayed him again. The league was apparently so against the oppressed Kaepernick, though, 
that they let him keep his job anyway, and he went on to lose every other game for the rest of the year except for the completely meaningless last-second one-point win over the 4-12 L.A. Rams. His record over his last two years as a starter in 19 games was 3-16. and In 2015, out of 39 qualifying quarterbacks, Kaepernick finished 38th in offensive rating, according to Pro Football Focus. The only guy worse than him never played another game in the NFL. The four quarterbacks above him are also out of the league for various reasons, including the guy who finished four slots above him, Johnny Manziel. By the way, Blake Bortles finished 12 slots ahead of him. In 2016, he finished 33rd of 39, with only two starters below him, including Brock Osweiler, who would be released following the season. This is in a very quarterback-friendly offense that was basically designed for Kaepernick's skill set, if he had a skill set. Colin Kaepernick is not good at football. Period. Claim number four. The NFL can't handle people speaking honestly about race. Yes, they can. If you can play, you can run your mouth about almost anything. Was Kaepernick being blacklisted because he was speaking up? Well, we have a really easy way to test that. Plenty of other people also protested. Were they able to keep their jobs? Let's start with his teammate, Eric Reed. He also took a knee. Yet when Kaepernick was gone, he kept his job. He didn't get released. Why? Because he's an average player. Not a great player, but an average player. For the season, Reed finished 2016 rated 79th out of 103 safeties, and in 2017 finished 45th of 95. He's average, maybe slightly below. He then became a free agent and teamed up with Kaepernick to sue the NFL for not being signed uh, fast enough. That's Kaepernick's real job, by the way. It's extortion. It's not football. Both of them got a settlement, but Reed also got signed to the Panthers. He somehow got a job, even after suing the NFL. In total, he signed two contracts, totaling about $24 million. He has taken a knee every week since. How about Mike Evans? Great Tampa Bay wide receiver, also publicly took a knee. He played the rest of his rookie contract and then re-signed for five years and $82 million, making him the second highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. How about Broncos linebacker Brandon Marshall? He took a knee as well, yet somehow kept his job for three years and was later signed by the Raiders. How about Patriots safety Devin McCourty? He took a knee and somehow kept his job and his $48 million contract. He went as far to make custom racism cleats, and yet still the NFL employed him. How about Martellus Bennett? He took a knee and he kept his job as well until he retired to pursue his dream of making comic books like this one, tastefully entitled Super N-Word, except except the whole word's right there. (laughs) Super N-Word. Somehow he was able to be employed, but oh no, not poor Colin Kaepernick. How about Kenny Stills? Stills rates as an average wide receiver. He took a knee and has publicly said he doesn't care. If he gets thrown out of the league because of his protests, he will not stop. After his 2016 kneeling season, he signed a four-year, $32 million contract. He's still protesting and he's still collecting paychecks. How about Malcolm Jenkins? He protested as well, putting his fist in the air. 
but shockingly was not thrown out of the league because he's good at sports. He kept protesting and kept playing out his $35 million contract, won a Super Bowl in the greatest game ever played, and just signed another $32 million contract with New Orleans. I mourn his departure. Also, Jenkins actually tried to do something proactive instead of just making it about himself and his image. He helped arrange a big program with the league to help fight racism in communities around the country instead of just, you know, making commercials to enrich himself. Had that get received? Well, it resulted in a physical altercation with Eric Reed and the psychotic Colin Kaepernick because they called him a sellout. I could go on, but the bottom line is all of these players from stars to below average all kept their jobs despite their protests because they were better at football than Colin Kaepernick. And they at least acted like they were interested in the sport. And finally, claim number five. No one would give him a chance. As discussed, Colin Kaepernick's whole career is due to people giving him chances almost no one else has ever received. Despite his mediocre performance in 2014, he was awarded a seven-year, $126 million contract. The problem was it was loaded with performance metrics that he didn't meet. They say, bet on yourself. I wouldn't do that if you were Colin Kaepernick. He actually was never released from the 49ers. Technically, he opted out of his own player option because he thought he was going to be released, and he probably was. That didn't work out so well for him. Still, at the end of the day, he made about $44 million from the NFL, plus the millions from Nike and other sponsors, which probably adds up to even more. The numbers aren't publicly available because no one wants you to know how bad he's taking advantage of his supposed oppression. The truth is, he's simply better at using racism to enrich himself than he is at throwing things. Still, teams wanted to give him a chance. The Ravens were close to signing him. In fact, Ravens legend Ray Lewis was advocating for him. And then Kaepernick's girlfriend compared Lewis hugging the white owner of the team to a slave hugging a slave owner. Can't imagine why that gig didn't work out. Combined with him, of course, sucking at football. Seattle almost signed him as well, but, quote, the Seahawks and Kaepernick were apart on money. Jabez Winston just threw for 5,000 yards last year, and he took up a backup job for a million bucks. But as usual, Kaepernick wanted to cash out. That's what really matters to him. And then, in a completely unprecedented move, Roger Goodell and the NFL offered to create a tryout event for Kaepernick with all NFL teams present in Atlanta. No one gets an opportunity like this, and it makes no sense that it was given to him. But Kaepernick didn't even bother to show up. He complained about the timing, the injury waiver, and the location, switched the workout to a high school, and once again, no one signed him. He has no interest in playing football in the NFL. He was given plenty of chances And it looks like he's about to be given another one. Seattle Seahawks head coach Pete Carroll said on Thursday that a team is interested in signing him. And that's the bottom line here. Someone probably will sign him. Will he deserve it? No, he will not. But at a time where everyone is falling all over themselves to worship at the altar of his misleading ideas and complete lies, someone probably will do it. They'll sign him with the justification of good press and fawning media attention. But when things go bad... He will turn on you. He will say the reason you're not playing him is because of his brilliant ideas and your racism. Your team will become a circus. Your owner will be called a slave owner. And Al Sharpton will be standing outside of your stadium gates 
with a megaphone. You want that life? You can have it. But don't walk into it without the full knowledge of what you're getting. A complete and total charlatan who also happens to suck at playing football. This is America, and I like to think that we're the best at everything. You know, just who I am. America, I would like to think we're the least racist country on Earth. Supposedly, the actual least racist country is China. Uh, but they literally have concentration camps and <laughs> a real-life big brother. So I don't understand that. Uh, maybe Sweden or Denmark would make the claim. But, you know, they are so overwhelmingly Scandinavian. So I'm not sure that fits. America is not. Diversity is a crucial part of our identity as a nation. It's what fuels the merit-based lottery we call the American dream. Yet, race is an issue we, we may never really fully shake in this country. We mostly have, I think. Uh, we definitely have more than other countries, like China, for example. Just throwing that out there. Uh, most of the media we consume only seems to make, I don't know, the bad stuff seem even worse. Riaz Patel is making our chaotic and stupid world better. It's a great approach. He's done this impressive thing uh, you only occasionally see in the media where he kind of became an expert about several subjects before they turned into headline news, which is a good idea. Early adoption, but with good ideas instead of iPhones. His show, Four Chairs, is exactly what we need right now. He gets four people to sit down and talk about the things we really don't want to talk about, but probably should. Riaz, thanks for coming on the program. It's been a while, man. Great to see you. How are you? Good to see you. You know, I want to get into your show here in a second because it's a great solution to this. But let's start with the bad stuff first. Um, I feel, <laughs> Why not? Because, I, I mean, you know, look, we're on the blaze and this is how we how we do things. Um, we started with this <laughs> moment, I felt like, of national unity here recently with George Floyd. And in which we I literally have yet to hear one person say anything other than it was horrific and murder. I mean, that's maybe the, I guess the cop would probably disagree with that. But other than him, we're all on the same page here. And I feel like it really went the wrong direction pretty quickly. How do these things get out of our control like that? It's, it's the, the bombardment of everyone's perspective, everyone's news, everyone's behavior. We see everything and it's coming at us all day long, no matter what we're doing. And so the spiraling and the loudness, it just happened so quickly. And so you're right, there was this moment of unity, it, typical in America, and then boom, everyone runs to their side. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. It felt like a moment of, okay, we all understand this, and then fractured within seconds. Mm. Yeah, and I think it, there's something about, I don't know, I was trying to, to, to decipher this in real time, as we, we have to do in this world of today. And I was thinking about it in that, like, we were all kind of together, and in some ways I think we found that boring. Like, we kind of looked at this and we're like, oh, well, we all kind of agree on this point, so there's nothing to talk about here. Let's look for the stuff we don't agree with so we can talk about that instead. Is that, is that what's happening in our minds? I mean, I mean, I believe America is outrage nation. I think that, you know, we have coronavirus. This is not the easiest time. And here you have this thing, this situation where you can just vent your rage online and get more likes for it and have people follow you and say, good job for calling that person out. I think the outrage, the calling out, the canceling, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. How much of this are we doing to ourselves? For example, you know, I know that it's, it's, very easy and completely true to say what happened to George Floyd is horrific and really, really bad. And we need to stop that. 
It's also very easy, I think, that most people would agree uh, with uh, the idea that burning down a target to protest that is a really bad idea. Sure. And, uh, you know, bad idea. But there's always somebody out there who will give you a little bit of a flavor of, a, of an opposing argument on that. And we seem to search those people out. It's, it's, it's as if, you know, outraged nation, I guess that's it. We really are just searching out the conflict. Well, it's not even searching out. It comes to us. If you see a piece of news that's outrageous, ridiculous, someone screaming at someone, that gets forwarded much more and and sent and shared more than something subtle and nuanced. No one's like, oh, my God, you have to hear this nuanced conversation. (laughs) It's always the rage that comes first. And so as a result, everyone sees the rage. They see the extremes. They see the extremes on the ends. And rational thought, rational conversation is completely drowned out. Yeah, I, I keep falling. Down. I mean, that is, I think, what we've seen a little bit this week in which you're seeing shows like Cops and Live PD featuring people who have nothing to do with this you know, murder in, in Minnesota. They they're paying the price. All the production people who work on these shows are paying the price. Mm-hmm. T- terrible things sure. are happening. And I honestly, to, to this day, have not actually heard someone on the left or in, in the media call for a show like cops to be canceled yet they did it anyway it's like as if they're preemptively trying to stop controversies before they even begin well you and i know that a lot of conversations happen behind the scenes i happen to know the people who run networks like a and e and you have advertisers you have unions you have constantly people getting involved um and making these decisions that seem sort of ridiculous but i agree with you like the gone with the wind I, I don't quite understand why its disappearance from the face of the earth net, net helps the conversation. Right. But there's a lot of people coming in and everyone has an agenda, which is why I keep trying to have conversations with people who don't have an agenda. They don't have millions of dollars in their coffers. They don't speak for anyone. They're not represented. They're just people. And those are the people we never hear from. We never hear from them. Yeah. And you, this is the, the, one of the great things you've done with this show, Four Chairs. Um, it, you, you're able and you've been, you know, I've seen you do this with not only, uh, you know, regular people, but big media personalities where you're able to kind of get a really foster a great conversation. And, and, you know, the thing is, there's a lot of interesting people like people actually believe interesting things. They have interesting thoughts yes. and, and wishes, but they don't get expressed in this sort of rage culture. How do you drill down into that? And even more than, than interesting opinions, they have interesting life experiences. The way I've lived my life with my skin color going day after day after day for thousands of days is different than you've lived your life you mm-hmm. know, in, a, in a variety of ways. Unless you and I sit down and talk about it, how are you going to know what my life is like and I'm going to know what your life is like? It's something I have to say every time I ever came to The Blaze, you and Glenn were thoughtful and respectful and open-minded, and that's what we're doing here. Is we're saying to people, the first step of our process, it's called epic, the system, is equalization. And so we don't talk about race off the bat because if you want to connect with people and have a vulnerable conversation, the worst way to do it is to start by talking about the thing you have least in common. Right, right. And so equalization is generally, like yesterday's equalization question was, what was your favorite stuffed animal and why? And it's like <laughs> people start talking about it. And it's like, I have this. It's just, who are you? I humanize you. We all have similar, we were all children. We all had parents. Equalize first. Then let's start discussing the stuff that we don't have in common. But until we equalize each other, I'm not looking at you as an equal. I'm looking at you as someone either to teach you why you're wrong, to put you in your place. And that does not yield good conversations. Well, I will say, Riaz, as of right now, it's just the E system. And you can't leave me with a cliffhanger. You've got to give me the PIC. Okay. <laughs> okay, because I like you, I will tell you the rest. So it's epic. It's equalization. 
Personalization means that you're talking about your life experiences. Not, I read this stat, I saw this on CNN, I saw this on Fox. Personalization. Why do you believe what you believe because of the life you've lived? Information gathering. If I'm listening to you while you're personalizing, I'm gathering like a detective. I'm asking questions to understand more. And then only after those three steps and you have some history and you have some rhythm with each other, do we get to collaboration where we're like, okay, so what do we do about the problem? But that comes last. And so this epic system, it's amazing to see how once you equalize people, the way they listen and engage is, is completely different. We have had unbelievably honest conversations about race that are really productive and no one is vilified. No one is made to feel bad. It's just, this is what I know from my life. This is what I know from my life. And then discussing that back and forth. Ah, that's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's funny because literally none of those steps are involved in social media. It's the exact opposite of all of those yeah. steps. So it just shows you cannot foster yeah. a conversation that way at all. Let me ask you a couple of specifics here, because I because I know the show is you have sure. it's very well timed because you're talking about race. Um, uh, in, yeah. And so a couple of things. I know looking at this debate uh, when it comes to the uh, the conversation around what's gone on with George Floyd and police, I know and I recognize it myself. I started a place that's pretty pro police. I'm a, you know, I've had police officers in my family. Um, I, I respect sure. them very highly. And, you know, I'm never going to back down on what I believe is right about the stats of these things and everything else. But how does someone who has I, I come into this with a with, I, I think, an admitted bias at some some level. Um, and I think mm-hmm. the uh, other people in the in a conversation will come into this. Maybe they happen to be a, a member of the, the black community and had bad experiences with police officers. Sure. They're coming in with their life experience a totally different uh, way. That is the epic system, the way you bridge that gap. You make that connection beforehand before you start talking about those separate things. Absolutely. Well, you, the equalization is so key to be like, if I respect your humanity and I see you for who you are, I'm either going to believe you when you start sharing your life experience, or I'm going to say I know better. If you really commit to the equalization, it's another human being just sitting there. They have their life. They have their beliefs. They have their mom, their dad, like you do. It's not that hard to do. What's uh, amazing is you see these sort of parallels come up. Like, let's say stats. We talked about stats in one of our conversations. If the cop had gotten off of George Floyd's neck a minute prior, that would not have been a stat. And so mm-hmm. when the black community says we have harassment. We have things that don't follow, fall into statistics necessarily. Behavior and treatment doesn't necessarily fall into statistics. That's a conversation that becomes interesting because I find a lot of conservatives, and, and, I, and I get it, like to, like to understand their facts. Facts only work if there's an equal respect of human beings. Mm-hmm. If you say we have these stats and only this many people have been harmed, you don't really know the other things that weren't a murder or something that wasn't written up or something that so stats only take us so far which is why i think the experiential part of epic is so important we have on tuesday a conversation with police officers about policing what should police be what i love is these people don't represent anyone other themselves that's how you get people to be open and honest is when they just talk for themselves and what they know Mm, that's a that's a great point And, and, and it's it's the way you open up that conversation um let me uh, let me ask you one more here. Um, we have about a minute left. Sure. Um, you come from a diverse background. Uh, you've you've as you said, you know, you have different experience than probably I do here in the United States. When you look at the country, do you see a country that is like fatally flawed? Do you see a country that's really great with a few problems? Do you see the best country in the world? What do you see? I mean, I see the best country in the world because because that's why we came here. I wasn't born here. I was born in Pakistan, and I think I really do think America is an incredible nation. This, this issue of race, the navigating between the majority and the minority, 
is a very complicated one, and I don't think we've quite resolved it. I, this could be a moment where we do, or at least we make a lot of progress. It is very hard with a minority, with my skin color, to get someone in the majority to say, not only do, do my experiences, are they relevant, but even though they don't impact your life at all, I hope you care. That's the thing that we have to ask people in the majority. They have to take extra time and effort and interest to learn about things that don't really impact them. Why? Because they impact a fellow citizen. So I do think America is great. I think this race thing has never been dealt with well. Let's have the moment. Let's have the conversations. Do we know what the exact demands are? Are we going to match all the demands? No. But at least we can have the conversations and have people say, yes, it is a problem. I could do better. I am aware of these things. That's all we can do. But America's an amazing nation. Race is something we do need to work on. Mm. Riaz Patel, the show is Four Chairs with Riaz Patel. Where's the best place to go see it? Uh, Facebook, we have it. We have it on YouTube. Um, two episodes a week. All these four people are just random people from all over the country with backgrounds, like anyone who's watching this now. And they just talk, they share, they connect. And each one has yielded an emotional connection that, that has surprised me and given me a lot of hope. Mm. Riaz is great at being able to foster conversations you don't see anywhere else. And he's a genuinely good dude as well. Four Chairs with Riaz Patel. You should <laughs> check it out on Facebook and YouTube as well. Thanks, Riaz. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, to Always nice to see you. All right, back in a second. Well, I'm happy to report that the world is even more Orwellian than we had even imagined. But it's 2020, so it makes total sense, right? Yesterday, Twitter suspended 170,000 fake accounts linked to China in the middle of a pandemic caused by China. The Chinese propaganda campaign... I mean, you can't even make it up. It took, the, it took place the same time Twitter was, by the way, posting trigger warnings on Trump's tweets and publicly accusing him of misinformation on the same platform. I, you know, at some point, do we have to say that maybe China's a problem? I don't know if anyone saw this. There's 100,000 dead people here in the country. Uh, thank you so much for that, China. Really, really thrilled about that one. Uh, and they're still not telling us all the truth about that. And now we have to deal with them in, in the middle of all this with a with a propaganda campaign. It is uh, utterly, um, it's utterly unbelievable. I will say anything on Twitter, though, I'm getting to the point where I actually believe it. We don't have this week. We had cops canceled, live PD. There's a threat of Brooklyn Nine-Nine moving. There's a threat of uh, Paw Patrol being canceled. And some people were like, well, uh, come on, Paw Patrol was a joke and uh, it was no big deal. Well, first of all, there's an article in in the New York Times about it, that was relatively uh, extensive. Secondly, cops and live PD also got canceled. Dukes of Hazard is now gone. Gone with the wind is now gone. Um, how about this one? This one's incredible. Uh, John Cleese, who is, you know, <laughs> you got to love John Cleese. I mean, he's, first of all, a legend in the world of comedy. Um, and he has, he, he's, he's become a little curmudgeonly as he's gotten older. He just does not care anymore. He's just laying it out there. And they, he's, uh, he's doing it now because of a decision made by UK TV to remove a Faulty Towers episode uh, called The Germans. If you don't know this episode, it is literally a landmark moment in the, the history of comedy. Uh, Faulty Towers is one of the best shows ever made. It is legitimately fantastic. It basically sets the scene for... A thousand shows that came after it and didn't do it as well. Um, Faulty Towers is a legendary show. I, I, it's, it's inexplicable that anyone would think of editing it or taking it down. 
The Germans is probably the most famous episode of Faulty Towers. The fact that you would remove that because I don't even I mean, I can't even understand it. I guess like it's it's almost an inexplicable decision. Um, Cleese did come out and actually criticize it. One of the things I've learned in the last 180 years, (laughs) Cleese is still amazing, uh, is that people have very uh, different tastes in humor. Uh, Some of them understand that if you put nonsense words into the mouth of someone you want to make fun of, you're not broadcasting their views. You're making fun of them. That's how this works, everybody. And, you know, I think most people understand that. You know, the fact that you're 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 making a parody of someone who's being offensive uh, is not the same thing as being offensive. Yet we've seen that affect the world of comedy over and over again. Um, one example that pops into my head is, is the Sarah Silverman situation. We've talked about it a, a little bit before. She was making a show, trying to show how non-racist she was. And to do that, her character, if you will, who's kind of ditzy, um, decided to come out and wear blackface. Now, obviously, we've all seen the blackface controversies that have happened. Anyone who's been, had blackface on, they can't get a job anymore, of course. Well, but what's the motivation, though? She's, she's doing it to mock racism, I'm not a Sarah Silverman defender. I mean, it's just blatantly obvious she was doing it to def- uh, to to mock racism and make racism look stupid. She got she lost jobs because of it. Um, you know, I, you wonder if a show like It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or you know Mr. Show. We played a clip of that this week. These classic shows that are offensive, yes, but they're offensive to make fun of things they're trying to make a point on. That should not be a problem. God forbid. What would they do with this show? I mean, geez, this show, Wonderful World of Stew, that'd be nothing left. You just, it would be me just saying pronouns because everything else in the middle would be cut out. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, I also want to, uh, to hit this one. This one I'm, I'm a little torn on. This is a story about Band-Aid. Now, Band-Aid has decided, they made a, a, a tweet, and, or excuse me, an Instagram post, and they decided to announce they're making different shades of Band-Aids. Do we have a picture of this? Here it is. Um, five different shades from uh, dark brown, I would say, a little lighter brown, a little lighter brown, a little, like whitish, and then apparently gray. I don't know if, at least in my monitor, it looks like the, if someone has, if you have gray skin, go to the doctor. Don't get a new Band-Aid. Um, but a part of me says, I love this because it's capitalism, right? If you happen to be someone who has different color skin, you want the Band-Aid to match your skin. They already came out with clear ones a while ago. You could have gone that direction. But if you want to have brown Band-Aids, good for you. I like it because Band-Aid is going to sell more Band-Aids. And I like capitalism. I like the fact that they innovated. It's something that people want, probably. And if you want it, great. It's there for you to buy. On the other hand, the statement is so pandering and irritating, and I can't take it. We hear you. We see you. We're listening to you. Is the same person writing all of these? Is that what's happening? Is there a person who is in, a, is in shackles in a basement, some 14-year-old who's stuck typing and he's being tortured and forced to write all of these statements for these companies? They're all the same. Uh, back in a second. Before we leave you this weekend, I want to leave you with this. We hear you. We see you. We're listening to you. We're apparently really creepy. We're in your business. I'm sorry about that. We are dedicated to inclusivity and providing the best healing solutions through television. And we're, we love you. <laughs> Good night.